If you'd like to follow the reading, you'll find a blue Bible in front of you. And I'm going to be reading from page 1213, first chapter of James, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. How does God make himself known to us, reveal to us what he requires of us? Well, three sentences, each of three words get to the heart of how that happens. God has spoken. That is what the Bible is, for it is written. And so why do we do what we do on a Sunday? Because we're under the command to preach the word. God has spoken, it is written, preach the word. And then we shall hear the voice of the one who made us and the one who desires that we might know and treasure him. We're going to ask for God to speak to us now in the light of those truths as we stand and sing uh, this hymn and then David will come and with the Lord's help open this word to us. As we remain standing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you do speak to us this morning. Speak to us through your word and renew our minds. Father, we pray that your spirit would reach into us. Make these words come alive. And speak to our situation. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And Mike has done his best to try and bring, I should say, some order out of disorder. um, And to try and bring some structure where there's very little. And to make some sense of that. There isn't really an equivalent of Proverbs in the New Testament, but the closest it gets is the book of James. And James employs many of the same techniques as he writes, as the writer of Proverbs does, 
And again, there's no great systematic pattern to it. So things you think you've read once, you find a couple of pages later, you come back to again. And he picks up the same theme and goes with it. And there is, although it's not as chaotic as Proverbs, there is that sense of a a lack of structure. Christians have struggled with the book of James down the centuries. And most famously, Martin Luther describes it as a book of straw. Because it makes no direct reference to Jesus and his saving power through his death on the cross. And Martin Luther found that difficult to cope with. By contrast, what James does contain is how to live your life as a Christian. How as you come across the everyday things you encounter, some very practical and helpful advice. And as we read it, some of it we think is blisteringly obvious when you read it, a bit like those proverbs that you read. And some of it shows real insight into understanding the complexity of the situation. So if you've got your Bible handy in front of you, that blue book, perhaps you'd like to open it to page 1,213. And we're going to have a look at these verses from 19 through to verse 27. And really what James is looking at is that difference between genuine and false or phony spirituality. And what does that look like in practice? So he begins in verse 19 with these words that brothers take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And the obvious question is, is that you? Is that me? Now, in part, this being slow to speak and quick to listen may be referring to how we respond to the word of God. And as we hear the word of God and we look at it, are we over hasty in our response? And the writer of the Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 warns against that. He says, when you go into the house of God, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Because there's a sense that we can be over-eager. We hear someone say, so we think, yeah, that's great, I'm in there. And we don't stop to listen and think. And Jesus warns about this in Luke 14, doesn't he? When he says, if you want to follow me, think about the cost. You don't build a tower without sitting down and consider whether you've got the money to do it. You don't go to war unless you've thought about how many troops you've got and have you got enough troops to conquer the other country. And there's much wisdom in that, that we often hear things where we incline to respond instantly because they speak to our emotions, they they get, perhaps get to our hearts, and we can react too quickly. However, that would be to limit James. Because as we hear these words, being slow to speak, and quick to listen, and slow to anger, doesn't it just strike us as good common sense? So are you good at listening? 
fairly early on in my teaching career, one of my colleagues, I think helpfully, I say I think helpfully, I wasn't certain at the time, I'm still not certain now, but you'll say, pointed out to me that I have a habit, or I had a habit, I hope, of completing people's sentences for them. So you'd be talking to me and you'd be telling something, and I'd jump in and tell you the last five words that you were going to say. And that's fine, it wasn't ill-intentioned on my part, but it did show a certain impatience. It did show a certain lack of listening and a thing of a, a sense of thinking that I knew what they were going to say. And of course, I wasn't always right. And that was to the frustrating because then I'd say, no, I don't mean that. I mean this. Well, you'll judge whether I changed or not, or if I still do that. And uh, if you think I do, on the way out, you might want to have a quiet word with me and just, uh, just tell me about that. But really it means, doesn't it, not jumping in with answers, but listening to what people are saying. I have to say, in the Charlton household over the last few months, as Rosemary's become a head teacher, that's been an interesting challenge. Because you can probably imagine Rosemary gets in from work, full of all the frustrations and stresses of being a head teacher. Out they pour, and there's someone there who can give her advice. Me whether she wants it or not. Based on 20 years of experience, I can tell her what to do. And does it go down well? Well, you don't need to know Rosemary, do you, to guess that it wouldn't. That ability to listen and to hear and to rein back our speaking is absolutely key. And if we're honest... For all of us, there's times when we're not good at that. And it's often because we think we know best or we don't really value the person and what they're saying or perhaps we're just in too much of a hurry and we're not prepared to take the time. But James begins by saying you need to be good at listening. Now, as I look back on my life, I think of the times when perhaps people have said things to me that have hurt or have upset me or been unkind. And often it's because they haven't stopped to listen and they've been quick to throw in what they think rather than hear where I'm coming from. We can spot it when other people do it to us. The real key is can we spot it before we do it to other people. Can we take that time to listen, to stop speaking, and to hear what they're saying? But James doesn't leave it there, because he says that we need to listen without getting angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, undoubtedly, there is a place for anger. Jesus, when on Palm Sunday, he went into the temples and saw people trading and changing money and all those sorts of things, buying and selling there. What did he do? He threw the tables over and drove them out. That does not sound like the attitude of a calm person. That sounds like someone who's angry. And it's right that we're angry at injustice, 
And it's right that we're angry to righteousness. And it's right that we get angry when things aren't right. Not with ourselves and our own perspective, but there's injustice and people are being treated badly. But that's not the same, is it, as getting angry when someone drives badly in front of us or gets the parking space in the car park that we were queuing up to get or jumps ahead of us in the the, the supermarket queue or says something to us. That's what James describes as human anger. And if we're honest, we all get more angry about those sorts of things than we do about injustice or seeing things not being right in the world. James said we shouldn't become angry because it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't produce the sort of life that God wants us to live, the standards of life. But also it doesn't show the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we just get angry in human anger at these sorts of things. So your friends around you, the people you work with, your neighbours, do they see you as someone different? Do they see you as someone who's quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? Or do they see you as someone who's just like them, with all their faults? Jumping in, speaking too soon, getting angry because it lets us down in not showing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives transforming and changing us and making us like Jesus. How we respond to people, how we listen to them, how we respond when they say things to us that we don't like shows that transforming work. Undoubtedly, as a head teacher, I've no doubt about this, the worst meeting I was ever in was about mobile phone masts. It was three and a half hours long. I came back off holiday early to attend the meeting, and it consisted for three and a half hours of people largely shouting at each other. It was absolutely horrendous. Three and a half hours later, someone suggested we were getting nowhere and we were better off going home. You've got the mobile fast mass providers, you've got the network providers, you've got some architects, you've got the school, and everyone just shouted. No one was prepared to listen. It got nowhere. It struck me as being a horrendous way to live, and if you're a mobile mobile phone mast operator, I feel sorry for you. If that's your work-life balance, is just yelling at people being in these meetings, because it was quite clear that some people, that was the way, the only way they knew how to operate. That wasn't the way that James is saying we should be. Quick to listen, slow to speak slow to anger. It goes on in verse 21 to begin this next phase through to verse 25 
of saying in verse 21, we need to get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in us. But it doesn't just stop there. Because it goes, as anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is deceiving themselves. So we need to become people who accept the word and listen to it, but also put it into action. Now, it's thought that this comes from reference to baptism at the time that James was writing. Now, if you're with us, you know, friends of Oscar's parents, you know, don't panic here, I'll just warn you, this isn't going to happen. But it was thought that at baptism, people would take off their clothes, presumably got underwear on, but take off their clothes they got baptised and put clean clothes on after they'd been baptised. Now, we're not going to do that to Oscar today. His mum and dad aren't, you know, godparents getting dressed, undressed and dressed quickly. That isn't going to happen. But they are, we are going to say to parents and godparents, or Mike's going to say to them, do you renounce evil? And they have to say, we renounce evil as part of that service. And that's what's going on here, that James is saying that you need to get rid of all moral filth and the evil supremacy of the world, in the world and humbly accept that you need to renounce evil. Because this word get rid of really means stripping off your clothes, taking off your clothes and putting them to one side. And James says you need to put off this moral filth that's around and instead have the word implanted in you. Now, most of you will know that we've got three sons. And you can envisage when they were teenagers and they'd been out playing rugby or been out playing football that they came in at times covered in mud. And they'd be instructed to stand in the kitchen, (laughs) remove all their clothes into a pile that could then be put straight in the washing machine before they advanced any further into the house. That's what needs to happen, that stripping off of those attitudes and approaches to life that reflect the world that we live in. The selfishness, the priority of me, me being the most important, the pleasure-seeking, that I enjoy it is all that matters. The materialism, what I've got, what I own, what I possess, and the security it brings. The minimum cost to me. Those are those attitudes, the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And instead... James says we're to humbly accept the Christian message of new life and salvation through Jesus and what he did on the cross and to have that implanted in us. Now I have to say I've been struggling over the last few weeks to get my French beans to germinate. They're just beginning. But you know what it is when that seed goes in and it starts to grow And it takes over. And James is saying that we need to let that word of God, that message of salvation through Jesus Christ come into our lives and 
implant itself and take over. So that Paul says in Galatians 5 that we see the fruit of the Spirit in, in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Those sort of things start to grow naturally in our lives. You see, the miracle of Christianity is this, isn't it? That as we begin to see ourselves as we really are, as we see the things we've done wrong and the things that aren't right in our lives, and we look to Jesus and his death on the cross and see that opportunity for forgiveness of those things that are wrong in our lives and that salvation, as we follow Jesus and enter into relationship with him, the miracle is that our lives change. Not because we do anything, but because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, implants itself in us, and changes us to make us to be the sort of people that God wants us to be, and we want to be. And that's the miracle. It isn't anything that we do. It isn't like we, we pray, you know, 60 hours a week or something like that. It isn't that we do these things, but the miracle is that by looking to Jesus and his salvation and that Holy Spirit of God coming into our lives, our lives change. And we become the sort of people that we want to be. But James says it's not merely sufficient to listen to the word, we've got to act upon it. And he tells this story, or this parable if you like, of two people with mirrors. Because it says, if you don't listen, if you listen and don't act on it, you're deceiving yourself. And he says, it's like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets what they look like. I have to say, in our porch, we've got two mirrors. I rarely look in either of them on the way out. And when I went to collect Rosie from work two weeks ago, It was clear I hadn't looked in either because she wouldn't let me into the school premises until she'd adjusted my collar and straightened my shirt so I looked presentable in front of her colleagues. Had I looked in the mirror, I might have spotted that. But you know what it means. So you look in the mirror, you see look a mess, and you don't do anything about it. It's stupid. And that's what James is saying here. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, not forgetting what they've heard and doing it, will be blessed in what they do. So what stops us acting on God's word and putting it into practice? Well, I think there's some clues in these verses that we're looking at here. Well, the first one is undoubtedly reluctance. We've got to be willing to strip off The dirty clothes. And if we're honest, there's a comfort sometimes, isn't there, about soiled clothes. You know, they fit around us a bit more snugly than starched, tight, you know, clothes that have just come out of the the washing machine or been (laughs) dried properly. There's a comfort in in worn clothes rather than and perhaps we're reluctant to put off some of the things that we know we need to. We need to be willing to do it. We're to humbly accept the word of God. And some of us are too proud. 
We think we know better. We do know better. There's got to be a willingness to submit, to be humble, to recognise we need to change and not to think we don't. We're told that the person looks himself in the mirror and then goes away. We delay. You know, if you looked in the mirror and saw your tie wasn't straight, you wouldn't think I'll do it ten minutes' time. You'll adjust it while you're standing there. If I'd looked in the mirror on the way to collect rosemary, I'd have adjusted my collar there and then. I wouldn't have thought I'll do it when I get out of the car. There's a great temptation, isn't there, to delay. Go away and forget. And I say genuinely forget because all of us forget things. And there's always plenty of other things in life to crowd in and take over. But how do you remember things? How do you remember what you need to get from the co-op? How do you, need to, how do you remember what you need to do in work the next morning? You make lists. You make notes. You count how many things you remember, the number of things you've got to do. You have tricks, don't you? Do we employ those same tricks as we think about the word of God, or do we just forget it? Sermon's passed and finished and it's gone out of our mind. You know those days when Mike said, we're going to ask adults, <clears throat> when the children come back in, what they've learned. Doesn't it petrify you? It does me. I sit there thinking, good grief. can't remember what you said in the last five minutes, Mike. I can't remember what you said in the whole sermon. Last time he did, he gave us some warnings. So I jotted down a few things in case I got jumped upon. The next one is superficial. Because it says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Sometimes we're inclined to be superficial. Just get through it. Hurry through it. Sermon's done. Let's get coffee. It takes time to think about it, to pray through it, to reflect on it. You know those shaving mirrors or those makeup mirrors you get that are concave. So, you know, you look at your face in there and you're about ten times larger. That's what it means, looking intently, seeing the detail, seeing how it speaks to you. Sometimes we can't be bothered to scrutinise ourselves closely against the word of God. We just do it superficially. And finally, it talks about looking at his face in the mirror, looking at himself, goes away, and forget what he looks like. Some of us look at ourselves in the mirror and think about someone else's face. We look at the word of God, we hear what's said, and we think, yeah, that, that's a good point. So-and-so needs to hear that. They need to put that into practice. Not make, when you look at your face in the mirror, as you're putting your makeup on, you don't think how you put lipstick onto someone else, do you? It's about yourself and looking at yourself. But by contrast, whoever looks intently, not forgetting, and continues to do what the word of God says, will be blessed. Will know happiness, will know fulfillment, will know peace with God. 
The third aspect that James goes on to in verses 26 and 27 is to pick out what we'd call today true spirituality. Because if we can deceive ourselves by listening to God's word and not put it into action, James says we can also deceive ourselves by thinking it doesn't matter what we say. Because those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. See, what we say, especially in unguarded moments, reveals more about us, perhaps, than we care to admit. Jesus, when asked about eating and drinking the wrong things, says, you don't need to worry about what's going into the body, you need to worry about what's coming out. Because it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside a person. You see, who we truly are is often revealed by our tongues, isn't it? And how they react, or the tongue reacts, especially in those spare-of-the-moment occasions. So how do we respond when someone's rude? When someone upsets us? when someone behaves badly towards us or when we drop a mug in the kitchen or when things just don't go the way we want how do we respond what do we say do we swear do we curse them do we give back as good as we get they needed to hear it I'd suggest to you those are examples of an unbridled tongue. And what it says about you is that your religion doesn't make a difference. That it hasn't had that transforming power on you. Because James says that by contrast, true religion, true spirituality is looking after the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, true spirituality isn't appearing to be religious by not controlling what we say. It's looking after those who are needy. And why does he pick up the orphans and the widows? Well, we don't really know. But I guess it's because it's not high profile. It's often unseen. It doesn't, it isn't just one thing you do, it goes on and on. And it requires an attitude of service. And it's an attitude that results in action. It also means keeping yourself from being polluted by those attitudes of the world that we thought about a few minutes ago. Keeping the values of Jesus' kingdom, his approach and his attitude, not be tainted, not letting those attitudes that we see around us in everyday life seep into us and affect us and tell us and change who we are. You see, verse 21 told us that we need to get rid of all our moral filth. Verse 27 tells us we need to retain our distinctiveness in Christians, as Christians. 
It doesn't mean that we have to become monastic or go into a monastery or a convent. It doesn't mean to say that we have to withdraw from the world and become hermits or recluses. What it means is that we need to go on in the world, being, as Jesus described it, the salt and light of the world. And demonstrating these examples that James gives us of being good listeners, not angry speakers, of doers rather than just, not, just listeners to God's word, and demonstrating true spirituality by controlling our tongues, showing love and service to those in need, and remaining true to God's attitudes and values. That's what James is telling us. He's saying, is, look, it's not something that you live out in a little special community, away from the world. It's something that you live out in the world, in the way you speak to others, in the way you respond to the word of God, and in the way you keep your tongue in check and show love to others. True spirituality, true religion is those things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these very practical examples of how we live out our lives as Christians. Father, we pray that we'd know the word of God implanted in us, taking over our lives and transforming us to make us the sort of people you want us to be. Father, we pray that our lives would show the fruits of your spirit in our relationships, in the way we speak, in the way we care for others, and would show to others your spirit is living in us and speak to them. Father, we pray that you help us to put your word into action. That you help us, having heard these things this morning, not to forget them, but to do them and to continue doing them. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen.